From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We have had a busy, exhausting week in budget world with a flurry of markups for a lot of these spending bills, now both on the House and Senate sides. By some miracle, they finally got started in late June. We've had a a clash over these spending allocations as they try to divvy up the spending pie, figure out which bills get how much money. We've seen some real fights both on the House and Senate sides uh, for different reasons. We'll talk about that. And it's a, it, there's a lot of bitter tensions in, among House appropriators in particular. We'll talk about that. And we don't often talk about Donald Trump on this podcast, but even Trump got into the appropriations game this week. We'll talk about that too. Joining me for all of this are two of CQ Roll Call's top reporters. We have Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Thanks, as always, David. And Paul Krawczak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Paul. Good to be here, and thank you. So let's start with the spending allocations, Aiden, because um, that's kind of the most important thing here, because they can't really start the appropriations process until they divvy up how much each of the 12 annual spending bills, how much money each of them gets. That's what these what these allocations are for, the so-called 302B allocations, if you're a budget nerd. And the Senate Appropriations Committee finally had a markup the first time in two years. And we saw a kind of a tough partisan rift there over what these allocations should be. Yeah, we, we did. And this comes a few weeks after the House rolled out their allocations, which are very different than the Senate allocations uh, at the 302B level. Uh, as Senate appropriators are writing to a higher top line, which is a top line that was laid out in the debt limit deal between Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden. So very different numbers uh, over here on the Senate side. And I think the the biggest concern here, the reason why it was not a unanimous vote like we saw for the Milcon and Ag bills, which were the other two bills that the Senate considered yesterday, is that Republicans want there to be more money for defense and homeland on the Senate side, while Democrats are trying to keep that money to other non-defense bills that are kind of more of the Democrats, uh, a little higher up on the priority list sometimes, at least as the way Patty Murray sees it. You can't shortchange these non-defense bills that are that are really important. Um, there needs to be some kind of uh, equal balance between defense and non-defense. Yeah, and what was interesting to me is, you know, just a few weeks ago when Congress passed the debt limit deal to suspend the debt limit, they reached a bipartisan deal on spending caps for the coming fiscal year, right? And so you sort of thought at that time, well, they finally ironed out spending levels for the current fiscal year. So maybe appropriations are, are will just be on a roll now because that's really the hardest part of the whole thing is when you need top level agreement on the overall spending levels to write these bills. And they had done that in the debt limit deal. And now we find it satisfied neither chamber really because on the House side, 
you had blowback from the the hard right conservative wing who said, no, we got to spend even less money than this deal allows. And so Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, agreed to that and said, we're going to we're going to write spending bills lower than what's provided in the debt limit deal. That set up a real clash on the House side. And in the Senate side, they've agreed to to meet the spending caps under the debt limit deal. So there you'd think the allocation shouldn't be a problem. And yet at the markup, we find actually it's a huge partisan divide. It was a strictly party line vote, 15 to 13, I think it was, Aiden, because Republicans are just unhappy with the, as you said, with the defense and the homeland security bills saying they are way inadequate. And we should, defense isn't off by that much, but the homeland security bill uh, is really uh, a discrepancy, right? I mean, it was something like 6% lower than the current year. And I think compared to the House bill, it's like 9% lower. That's a huge gap. And Republicans were already mad at the Biden administration, you know, saying he's not doing enough to, to protect the border. And for them to swallow a big cut like that to the Homeland Security bill was a real concern for them. And clearly, Democrats under Patty Murray, the new chair from Washington state, clearly wanted to save some of that spending for domestic needs, particularly the the the, the me- mega non-defense bill, which is labor HHS education, where you also see a huge, where she's much more generous on that bill than the House Republicans are. So you see this huge disparity in the bills. And that was surprising that, that even with a bipartisan deal on the spending caps, there's still, there's still this huge divide that's going to be tough to crack. Yeah. So after the debt limit deal, there's a lot of, there's a train of thought that now that they have a top line, which is what last year the issue was, there was no top line. And that's why things kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And once there was a top line, appropriate just were able to work pretty quickly to hammer out the subcommittee allocations and move forward with the omnibus in December. But so when there was a debt limit deal, there was a train of thought. And I'm guilty of this. I was, I think on this podcast thing that I thought that this could be a good opportunity, I mean, at least as good as any for the appropriations process to really kind of walk the way it's supposed to. Yeah, it did seem like that because I know the spending caps are the hardest thing to reach. And once you have that, usually they're in better shape, but not this year. Yeah, but I think I think it's clear to me now, and it probably should have been then, that politics will always kind of well, kind sure, of sure. the way of the appropriations process working in a uh, coherent, coherent way. I mean, especially over on the... Uh, Outside, where, where you have them writing below the caps, which it's a de- Democrat. I cannot see a scenario in which Democrats accept levels lower than those spending caps. Those spending caps are already lower than Democrats would like, and it's really you know the House Republicans are writing under those caps. But it's difficult for me to see an appropriations endgame this year that doesn't include these levels that we're writing to. Of course, the negotiations are going to be a little bit more of which bills get more, which bills get less. And as you pointed out earlier, Homeland, I, I think, is really going to be central in the uh, negotiations this year, where the House is 9%, 9.3% higher than the Senate, which is significant because in other bills, the Senate is way higher than the House in most of the bills because they have more money uh, that they're writing right. to. So I, I think I think Homeland will see 
really that will be central. That will be the big area of contention with Republicans pushing for more money for homeland and Democrats trying to keep that money uh, in other bills, non-defense bills that, that they prioritize. And so we, we should say, though, despite this partisan rift in the Senate appropriations, they did pass unanimously their first two of two bills, the first two of the 12 that they have to do every year, as you said, agriculture and the military construction and veterans administration bill. Unanimous. There was hardly much. I mean, the whole markup took less than an hour. I think it was remarkable how swiftly they just they just did them. But we should also say, I think the reason for that is that these are probably the easiest bills they've got in the in the kicker here in the pipeline, because these bills don't have the deep cuts that some of the others do, and so they're relatively non controversial, right? Yeah, these were the the easier bills, and and just kind of getting back to the fact. These, you know, subcommittee allocations were partisan. They were the Democrat subcommittee allocations. They were not negotiated between the chair, Patty Murray, and the ranking member, Susan Collins. If there had been negotiations, it would probably take longer to come up with the, yeah. you know, final numbers. But then you might have been able to see kind of at least more support for these numbers. But I think from the Democrats' perspective, this is a negotiating position with the House Republicans, you know. So I think that. That's probably what where their line of thinking was that they're going to put put forward the numbers that, that under the caps the numbers that they want and and as we get move into the end game this fall and winter uh, you know House Republicans will be pushing to move move some money around and try to get a little lower than the caps but again I think that's a that's a big uh, that's a heavy lift yeah and you did hear Republicans vent their frustration this week over not being uh, included in these allocation deliberations, you know, because because the, the Appropriations Committee is being run, we should say, by two new leaders this year for the first time, both women for the first time, Patty Murray of Washington, Susan Collins of Maine. And they've both gone out of their way, I think, to say how much they want to get the appropriations process working again. They keep stressing how they really hope to work in a bipartisan fashion. They've issued joint statements to that effect. Uh, and that was the tone they tried to adopt at Thursday's markup. And yet I do think they took a little hit to their credibility on that when when Patty Murray had to openly acknowledge, no, she wrote the allocations all by herself. Thank you very much. And it is her right, it is her right to do that, but it was also her choice to do that. And and you heard, uh, I, I think, you know, John Kennedy, the Republican from Louisiana, shot back, well, I thought we were going to have a new day, meaning a new bipartisan approach on this committee. He was clearly peeved at that. So you did hear a lot of venting that, um, is it really a new, a new day or are we back to the same old uh, partisan divide? Yeah, I think... As you laid out, you know, agriculture and, and Milcon VA were unanimously passed. I think as we get into some of these other bills, uh, particularly Homeland and Defense, we'll see a lot tighter margins uh, if the committee is able to meet and, and consider them. But I think if you take a step back, they're going to try to knock out as many of the bills as they possibly can with uh, the week we get back, Commerce, Justice, Science, uh, Legislative Branch, and... Financial services, right? Financial services, yeah, yeah. So three, 
uh, being the the ones that they'll consider in July. Uh, That's in mid July. July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two weeks after the recess, and, and those three, looking at the numbers, I mean, I think that those could pass with maybe similar margins. I mean, obviously, we we'll have to wait and see. Each bill has its own nuances, but. Uh, again, I think... Yeah, they do the easy bills first or easier bills first, and then the train wrecks tends to happen toward the end. Yeah, back to the back to the overarching theme here of the of a new day in Senate appropriations. It is remarkable that they were able to hold a markup uh, based on the precedent that we've seen in yeah. recent years. I think it's really different. I do think, obviously, the debt limit bill setting these caps, these numbers that were, are clearly, you know, it seems to be where we're going to end up. You know, giving giving a top set, setting the top line, I think really kind of expediated this process. But at the same time, it is you know the leadership of this committee when they took over, they they said we're going to do we're going to do markups and we're going to do regular order, and and this is a big step in that direction. It's it's definitely a accomplishment along those lines, and I don't think it's stunning that there's a bipartisan there's you know partisan disagreement on the allocations, but. I, I think this is kind of a it's a significant moment, and I think I think they achieved their goal of kind of not their goal full regular order yet. Obviously, it's too early to say that, but at least getting the ball rolling on on this this year. And I just want to point out the contrast uh, because it, between the Senate and the House Appropriations Committees on this, because while the Senate really is at least trying most of the time now, I think to work in a bipartisan fashion, allocations aside. Uh, it is bitter over on the House side, uh, where where Democrats have accused Republicans of being, you know, of reneging on the debt limit deal, saying we were hoodwinked, we were supposed to be writing to these these higher spending caps, and you guys all of a sudden decide to cut even more and go much lower. So every time they take up a bill, Democrats are are, are claiming that you know they've been double crossed here. It's pretty bitter. And you're seeing these huge fights over social issues. I was struck just, I think it was Thursday, but the days all blurred together. The House Appropriations Committee, also led by two women this year for the first time, we should say, but a much different tone (laughs) and much more bitter. They took up the defense spending bill in that committee this week. And, you know, if you watch the defense markup in that committee, you could be forgiven for not realizing that they were actually talking about military spending uh, because all of the big fights were were all on these cultural issues of the culture wars that Republicans are pretty eager to wage. Uh, And so you had all of these disputes over Pentagon funding for gender transition procedures or for paid leave for abortions or for whether drag queens should host story hours or or military recruiting or whether the military can teach critical race theory or the the whole debate over what's called diversity, equity, and inclusion programs to make a more diverse force. Almost everything but Military weapon systems or, or traditional <laughs> traditional um, military issues, and so I think you saw just how divisive it's going to be this year uh, with all of these what each opposing side would call poison pills in the process that's going to gum up the works and make these bills much harder to pass. And not to mention, you know, they did the uh, the bill for the, the State Department, 
and foreign operations. And there it wasn't so much cultural, a little bit, but not so much. But but there you've got deep cuts that Democrats resent because that was another bill that took a whack under House Republican uh, rules, cutting something like 12%, I think, out of that budget trying to kill off funding for the United Nations and international organizations, climate change programs. So again, just just so much bitterness. I don't know, and it's going to be really hard to see how these how this gets back on track in the House uh, and, and how many of these bills now can actually pass the House floor with such a, a narrow margin. Yeah, so I, I think especially since they are writing to the lower level, but in, in a hypothetical scenario in which the House was writing to the caps, I don't think that those bills could get out of committee because they'd be they'd face opposition from the uh, Freedom Caucus who wants lower levels, and they would uh, Democrats still wouldn't support them because as we're, just like we're seeing in the Senate, House Republicans would have set the three or two Bs and prioritized you know, Homeland, for example, and there'd be big cuts elsewhere and we would just still be, you know, having this kind of same same debate. But when we get to kind of the moving forward uh, piece of this conversation, you know, I think things are largely the same of where we were. I mean, I think July is going to be really fascinating on the House side, seeing what, if any, bills they can get across the floor. Because, you know, as we talked about last week, I think that conservatives and the Freedom Caucus, you know, always – you know, spending bills are not their favorite thing. And I think uh, that's kind of where McCarthy will have the hardest time per usual, as we've been seeing in you know the last uh, six months of, of this new Congress. But I, I think, you know, we'll have to take a wait and see approach here. Will they, will the Freedom Caucus get on board? They did have the Freedom Caucus members of the committee got on board, but can they convince everyone else in their caucus to get on board with these spending bills? We'll yeah. have to wait and see. They're definitely doing everything they possibly can, as you talk, touched on here with the culture war amendments to to encourage votes from uh, the conservatives and the Freedom Caucus folks. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm somewhat skeptical that we'll be able to, that we'll see bills being moved down the floor. But again, you know they passed the debt limit law. You know there's there has been Republican unity at times when uh, it didn't always look extremely clear that that would be uh, an achievable goal. So maybe maybe we will see Freedom Caucus members vote for this, just like they did the debt limit bill. But we'll yeah, wait and see. And I think my last note on this would be to point out that I, I think the, the the bill to watch for for where the biggest fight's going to be and, and what could derail the process is, is, the, is the labor HHS education bill, which is dear to the hearts of so many Democrats funding all the healthcare education programs. And there you see the greatest discrepancy because because overall, I think these bills between the House bills and the Senate bills, there's something, there's a difference there of roughly, I think, $119 billion. And almost half of that comes from the labor HHS bill. There's like a $48 billion discrepancy between the House and Senate on that, where the Senate is far more generous, uh, $48 billion higher than the House Republican bill is. Uh, that's just going to be brutal to resolve that. Uh, and that's also where you see a lot of the traditional cultural fights on abortion policy and whatnot. So, I mean, you take all that together and whether either side can pass a labor HHS bill this year, 
I have my doubts, uh, which is why then we may be looking at an uh, at an omnibus, uh, even though Speaker McCarthy has said he will not bring an omnibus to the floor this year. We'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. I don't know. Do you think they can avoid an omnibus, Aiden, uh, which is the catch-all bill at the end of the year that everyone dreads? Yeah, I, it's hard to imagine at this point, but uh, who knows? Maybe they'll... Uh, you know, negotiate it out like an omnibus and then move all 12 individually, which would take a lot of time and be uh, a heavy lift. But that's, a, I guess, would be a way to kind of get around that idea. But obviously, it's going to be challenging and, you know, I expect to be here. But there was this 1% cut across the board hangover, everyone said. So they, but that's not until April. So there's plenty of time to figure something out before then. But, you know, I think McCarthy you know, is just trying to punch ball pointed out today. He's trying to live in the moment and, and, uh, you know, live day by day and just kind of go to take things as they come up. So we'll have to wait and see how everything plays out. It's going to be quite a ride. It's need to happen, you know, which we're not quite there yet. All right. Which brings me to Donald Trump, uh, Paul, because, um, Donald Trump, who is the leading Republican presidential contender for next year, suddenly inserted himself into the appropriations process uh, with an interesting campaign pledge to grab more power over spending decisions from Congress. Uh, Paul, what was this about and where is this going? That's right. Yeah. So former President Trump wants to resurrect the president's uh, impoundment authority. in the past, going back in American history, all the way back to uh, Thomas Jefferson, and up until 1974, uh, presidents would occasionally impound or not spend uh, money that was appropriated by Congress, and the uh, president uh, Nixon was notoriously became notoriously famous for impounding tens of billions of dollars of funding that Congress had appropriated, not spending it. He was, he, he was attempting to cut spending that he, that he thought was not necessary. Um, So this led to Congress back in 1974, passing a, a landmark budget law, which did a number of things. But one of the things it did is it, it very much limited the president's authority to not spend money. Basically, it said if the if the president wants to not spend money that's been appropriated, the the president can only do it temporarily. And if he wants to do it te- uh, permanently, he needs the approval of Congress to do that. So, since 1974, impoundment has not been allowed. Um, and Trump would like to uh, bring it back. He feels it's really the only way to get spending under control and balance the budget. Yeah, although Trump did withhold money when he was president. There were big fights over this. Yes. So, you know, Trump used existing impoundment authorities to try to cancel uh, about $15 billion in appropriated funding. And uh, that that measure passed the House. It did not pass the Senate, so it did not happen. So he was using existing authorities to try to do that. Um, that separately, he withheld money, military aid to Ukraine back in 2019, $400 million worth. Yeah, which folks might and, remember was part of what led to his first impeachment. 
Right. And he used a very technical process to do that. The The Office of Management and Budget has a process called apportionment, and apportionment is used to space out spending so that there is enough funds left to fund activities until the end of the year. Apportionment can also be used to delay funding, and the Trump used it to delay that funding. Um, that funding was eventually released in time uh, to be spent. Well, so what does he want to do now, Paul? He's saying he's saying get rid of the 1974 law and just let me withhold, let the president hold withhold any money he doesn't want to spend. Yeah, that that that's it exactly. So. Um, so he said he would like to challenge that law in court because he thinks that it's unconstitutional. He thinks that the, the concept of checks and balances should allow the president to have some say over um, the spending of money that's been appropriated. So he, so he raised the possibility of a court challenge. Um, he also said that he would work with, he could work with Congress to, to change the law. Um, his argument is that the, the legislative branch has the power of the purse. Only the legislative branch, Congress, can actually appropriate money. Um, but the executive branch has the power to execute the laws. And so Trump's argument is that um, part of executing the laws is figuring out how to best administer the law. And in doing so, you might be able to save money. So, so Trump says that, you know, if, if the president is executing a law and can do so at a lower cost than the amount of money that's been appropriated, then the president should be able to not spend that money that is not necessary in the president's view. Um, now, you know, Democrats... Um, argue that, um, you, you know, the president can't do that. And under the, you know, 1974 law, the president can't do that. The president is obligated to basically spend every every penny that Congress has appropriated under current law. Well, does it look like Republicans in Congress are willing to jump on this and, and push this push this effort Trump is waging here? No, it doesn't. It doesn't look that way. Um, I mean, I think the only way that that Congress would change that law would be if you had, if Republicans um, had firm control of the House and Republicans had more than 60 votes in the Senate. That's the only way Republicans could pass this um, amid Democratic opposition. Um, and even then, it would it would be a heavy lift uh, for to to get to get this passed. Um, but you know, actually amending the 1974 law in any way would be a heavy lift. I mean, that law did a number of other things besides the the impoundment part of it. Um, it's the basic. It created, it's the basic budget law that we use today, right? That governs the whole appropriations process. Yeah, that's right. It, it created the budget committees, and it also created the Congressional Budget Office. Yeah, so it'd be a big lift. And and when Trump did try to withhold money as president, I mean, the Government Accountability Office basically ruled that he he violated the law, right? Well, that's that's right. That's in connection with the 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 uh, the withholding of the Ukraine 
uh, military aid. Now, so, but the White House's position on that was that, um, so they disagreed with the Government Accountability Office. And they, they also said the Government Accountability Office is a legislative office. So it has no authority over the executive branch, which is true. So yeah, it, wasn't it, was, bi- it was not a binding decision, but it was their opinion. It was their opinion, but it was it was the opinion of the legislative branch. Right. Well, it's an interesting fight. If he so if he uh, should he become president again, I guess we'll be uh, in the thick of a of a battle over impoundment. We will see. But that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you hear here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter. It'll hit your inbox, your email every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our coverage of the appropriations process and more at CQ.com or rollcall.com. Thanks again to Aidan Quigley and Paul Krozak for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thank you, David. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.